0: Today's going to be part two of the three-part series that we have started last week, and we'll finish next week. Um, And the title is The Violent, Take It By Force. The Violent, Take It By Force. So let's start, start with prayer, and then we'll dive into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We thank you for opening our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. We give you permission, Father, to rebuke us, correct us, encourage us, and teach us. And Holy Spirit, we ask, I ask that you will speak through me as a vessel, boldly, with authority and power. And I come against any hindrance of the enemy, any opposition, stopping the Word of God to take root in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The violent take it by force is a phase from a scripture. In case you don't know, it's from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So this was when Jesus spoke to the disciples and the multitudes about John the Baptist. So when John entered the scene, it was a transition time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So before then, the only way to approach God was through the laws and sacrifice. But when John came, he preached a different way to enter the kingdom of God, through repentance, and through putting faith into the in the new uh, coming Messiah. And so there was a, a completely new way. And it was the way. But a lot of people did not accept that because they were rigid in their own way. But there were a group of people that responded, that were open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so the phrase, the violent take it by force, is a description of that group of people who were walking by the Spirit, responded and pressed in and received the message that John preached, even though there were oppositions against them, there were the laws, there were traditions, there were unbelief and anything else, and they were violent about it, pressed in. And so we also looked at last week some examples of the violent people in the Bible, or the aggressive people, taking hold of their promises. We looked at a few examples, and i just recap a couple of them. Uh, the first one is a woman with the issue of blood, right, in the a book of Matthew chapter 9. So she was suffering um, with this condition for 12 long years. Very painful. And back in the day with that condition, she was considered unclean and she can't be in a public place. She kept touching things. And so she was treated badly. And so that kind of life was not quality at all. And so she tried every ways to get better and she spent all the money to seek help. But the condition only got worse. And the other woman in the Bible, the Gentile woman with demon-possessed daughter, was another story that we went through. She had a demon-possessed daughter. That means every day she was watching her beloved child being suffered, hurting herself, hurting others, not functioning as a normal human being. And not only that, she had to care for her but the family had to care for the child. And that means the family wasn't functioning as a normal family. And so their situation was very hopeless and this repressing. But then a ray of hope came into their life. Hey, have you heard about this Jesus that had been going about healing multitudes from all kinds of sicknesses? Someone spread the news to the woman with the issue of blood. And the news also made its way to the woman with the demon-possessed daughter. That hey, there's this guy, this Jewish man, Jesus, that could cast out demons. And so, because of the hope for a better future, for a transformation of their life, this woman took hold of that, and would being aggressive about it, despite what could cost them. So it could cost the woman who issued a blush the punishment, right, her life, for being disobedient to the law, being in public, pressing and touching all these people. And it would cost the woman with the uh, the Gentile woman, rejection, her pride, which she did, because Jesus at first rejected her, because she wasn't the Jews at that time, and he he came for the the Jews. His mission wasn't for the Gentiles. Somebody else was going to come later for the Gentiles. But she let go of pride. And she was persistent, and she got what she needed. And the woman with the issue of blood also got healed, received her miracle. So these people, they have something in common. They were sick of their situation. They had enough of what they were going through and know what they want, and they went after it with everything. They did not stay in the pity party or settle for the low level of life. So they violently pressed in to receive their miracles. Now, this kind of responses is the kind of response that all God's people should be having regarding the promises of God for us. So these are all the promises for, for us here. And we are God's people. We are supposed to be violent about it, violent taking hold of the promises in our lives. And they are yes and amen, right? Yes. They are yes and amen. They are not like, like uh, oh, for later, Someone else is going to come and give it to you, like with a Gentile woman, but it's now. It's yes and amen. So God has done all his part, and it's now it's our part, to make them manifest in our lives. All the spiritual blessings are given to us in the spirit realm, but unfortunately they don't just manifest themselves automatically or by accident. There are oppositions, like those Tosin mentioned earlier, hindrance and delay. So we need to apply force and aggressiveness to take hold of what belongs to us in Christ Jesus. And in this land of the living, not later in heaven, we talk about now, So to live intentionally and purposefully, we need to have three things in our life. The first one, pull factors. What do we want? Where do you want to go, the destinations, the goals? Number two, push factors. What are we tired of? What are we sick of? What are we dissatisfied with? What do we want to get rid of, done away with? Number three, pursuit. Is the proof of those desires. You want what you want, you want to get rid of the things in your life, and so you go after that. That's the pursuit. They are the corresponding actions to prove that you really want that so badly. When you have the push and the pull factor so strongly, everything in your life will align. Every decision, every priority will be set right to achieve what you want, to live where you don't want to be anymore. Think about high-speed train. There's a departure station and there's a destination station. The departure station is the push factor. You don't want to be there anymore. And there's a destination station. That's where you want to be. And there's this high-speed train, one way, focused, committed, serious all the way. So today, I want to focus more on the pull and the push factors. And next week, Tosin going to finish off with a pursuit. So we begin with knowing what we want and don't want. Because we cannot be aggressive if we want nothing different in our life, right? And we know that if we want something different, we have to do something different. We can't do the same thing expect the different results. It doesn't work that way. So last week I left us with a question: What do you want? What do you want? And so this week question: Are you limiting God in what you want? Are you limiting God in what you want? Is your vision for change God-sized or human-sized? Our God is an extravagant God. He can do exceedingly more than what we can think or imagine. So we have a really great deal in this partnership. And a lot of us say, nothing's impossible with God, right? We say that all the time. But have we actually asked God to do the impossible in our lives? Or there are some areas that we exclude them when we ask God because we think they are too hard. basket. <laughs> do we not ask because we really think that it actually can't be done, or we're not eligible somehow? Remember that it's not by our might nor by power, but by His Spirit. It is Him that is going to do it, through our cooperation. How do you know when you have a healthy pull factor? A healthy pull factor is a vision for your future so significantly different from where you are now that you will need to increase your dependency on God. You need to depend on God more, not on yourself more, not on the world system, not on human wisdom and understanding. But you need to depend on God more so that you can accomplish that much different vision than where you are now. And God loves to be trusted. He's willing to give grace to the humble. A big vision will require big sacrifice, greater faith, greater grace, because there is no glory without... There's no glory, without there's no story, right? There's no glory without a story. So when we believe God for this beautiful home that we're all here today, it was way above our weight in our human terms, it was completely out of our reach. It was $300,000 more than what we had. So we learned to stretch our faith (laughs) and depended on God completely, every step of the way, because it was not humanly possible. No previous wisdom could help us out. So we had to wait on God. We would pray and we would wait for the instructions. We would not move until we hear. And He was faithfully showing up every time. And here we are. So honestly, we appreciate that faith journey more than living in this house. We are benefiting, but we are benefiting more from the faith journey because God has become an experiential God to us, not a theory God. And because we have known God and trust him for 300K, we can trust him for more than 300K next time. We grow with him. So he always wants us to think big, to trust in Him to grow and stretch our faith. We must not limit God in what we want. We must not bring God down to our level of experience. We must go up to His level of thinking. He wants to bless us more than the opportunities that we give Him. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways, higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. However, having the poor factors alone is enough. Having the pull factor gives us the excitement, right, and the motivation to make a change, to go, to start, to pursue it. But there are days that you will not feel like it. There are days that you will not be motivated, you will not be excited, even with a great vision. There will be days when we feel like relaxing and slowing down. There will be days when there will be sacrifice to be made in order to make progress. And we'll be questioning ourselves, is it worth it? Those are the days that we'll need the push factors to help us follow through with our commitment and disciplines. Push factors are the things that you are so hating about the current situation. I want to use a strong word, hate. You hate about what's going on right now, the level of your life. That you want out of that so badly. You are so sick of it to just think about it that reminds you of why you must not relax and slow down. Instead, you need to press in even harder because you can't afford to go back to where you were. You just cannot. So to see if you have a push factor in your life, ask, are you dissatisfied with where you are? Am I dissatisfied with where I am right now? The woman with the issue of blood didn't quit because she was not satisfied with her Quality of life, and the woman with the demon-possessed daughter did not quit because she was she had enough watching her daughter to suffer and her family not functioning like a normal family. They had a burning desire. It's beyond wanting. It's beyond a need. It become a burning desires to be delivered from being a victim of sickness of demonic oppression because their situation cost them everything. And they had nothing to lose. And so has your situation cost you anything? Has your situation right now cost you anything? Do you have any sickness or conditions that is costing you? That is stopping you from being your best, being available? Is affecting your responsibilities, affecting your relationships, putting a burden on people around you? Is it costing you? Is there any circumstance that restricts you from having the freedom to do what God calls you to do? God has called you to do something. Is there something in your life that is hindering you, that's chaining you down, oppressing you from doing that? Is there any situation that is stopping you from being a blessing? You want to bless so much, but you can't. These things are painful to think about, right? And so we we have two responses to this, usually. We would rather not talk about them at all. We just move on and pretend that nothing's going on, everything is fine. Or we talk about it all the time to get some kind of sympathy, pity party kind of thing with people. I choose not to say anything that would give the devil the credit. I do not want to say anything that would glorify the devil. But I would choose to share the current situation with my accountability partner. Someone who's able to charge me up when I'm relaxing and slowing down. Remember, you said you do not want to be here anymore. Has that changed? Do you still want to be here? Come on now. So, you've got to find those people who are you willing to be vulnerable to. Share with them. Those who you can trust that will use that for you and not against you. So we need to make these painful facts about the situations we are in to our advantage. Don't let that drag us down, but let, us, let them make them work for us. Use them to wake us up when we want to fall asleep. No, I refuse to be hindered. I refuse to be controlled. I refuse to be oppressed. I choose to break free. I will do what it takes no matter what. And God, please give me the grace to go again. He's ready to give us a grace to ask. So we ask, has our situation cost us anything to check against our own preference now, right? So we have a preference. We have this standard of life that we would like. And so we check against that, and we substandard. And so we pick ourselves up and say, let's go, let's go. However, there's a more challenging questions that we need to ask. How is my life compared to the standard of the Bible? How is my life compared to the standard of the Bible? Psalms 119, verse 4 to 6 are very challenging if you really get hold of it. You have charged us, this is God charging us, to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. What I had this revelation. It was so confronting. This is my life, and this is the Word of God. How is it comparing? After everything, I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. I'm going to be giving account. We will be comparing our lives with what is expected of us according to our understanding of God's word on that day before him? And what would he say to us? Have you thought about that? He might say, sons and daughters, I paid with my own blood for you to have a life of freedom, a life of joy and peace and righteousness, free from bondage. I gave you the authority to live a life of victory that sets others free not just for us, but for others too, and proclaim the gospel, not with persuasive words, but with demonstration of power. He would say, I made grace and wisdom available for you to be the light in the world, to be the solution, not the problem. I made you to be my weapon. What happened? I gave you the Holy Spirit. What have you done with him? Those are big questions. I know we are all on a journey. We, start, we like to use that, that word, right? We're on a journey. But in our heart, between God and us, He knows. If we are really violent about it, if we are really aggressive about it, we can use that phrase as an excuse or as a truth, truthful statement. I am on a journey. We need to grow up. Spiritually and take on the Father's business. We need to be all in about that. We cannot relax and chill. God really knows what we mean when we mean business with Him. He knows. People might not know, but in our hearts, we know if we really mean business with God. Remember, everything is naked before Him, and to Him we are accountable. If we mean, if we mean business with God, Sooner or later, we will show fruit, we will bear fruit. And you know, the devil, there are two things about the enemy. The first thing is, tries his best not to let people get saved. But the moment it fails, which with us, we are now in the kingdom of God, what the enemy is going to do next is to try to stop us short of that productive life for the kingdom. It wants us to be lukewarm instead of being aggressive and violent. Satan would always look for opportunities to keep, to help us here, yeah, to direct our eyes away from the standard of the Bible down to the standard of human being. That's why Jesus said, Look up, right? Look, look, look up. But the devil would want to bring every sort of distractions to bring our eyes down to human standard. I used to compare myself with my Christian friends, and so nothing to be dissatisfied about. Right, because I can tick all the boxes. I went to church every Sunday. I served at church because we serve. We're meant to serve, right? So I looked after the children sometimes, so that ticked the box. I gave money. I tithe because we're supposed to tithe. So, so I ticked another box. I feel pretty comfortable. And I also ticked another box. I have the same problems that all my Christian friends had. <laughs> Right? So I felt really belonged and safe in that sense. If they had overwhelming feelings, being a mom, if they are stressed about work, I have the same thing. If they're sick every now and then, it's, it's winter, supposed to be sick, I had the same thing. And so when I checked myself again, that standard, I felt that I've arrived. Right? I felt satisfied instead of being dissatisfied. Guess what I was doing? i show you in this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Something that we need to memorize. Second half. They, measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. <coughs> it's a very nice way of saying, I'm not wise. You know, there's another, op- another word to say that, like, you know. And so I wasn't wise. But I didn't know that. I didn't know any better. But then I knew. I knew the moment when I suffered so much with being overwhelmed and stressed. I felt like I lost my personality. I felt like everything was falling apart. That's when now I looked up and questioned myself. What about the supernatural peace that God promised in the Bible? Where's that? I was almost in an anxiety-depressing state. And then I questioned that something didn't add up anymore, that I profess I'm a Christian, but then I don't have this fruit, I don't have this supernatural peace that God said that I should have. And so something is, is not right. So finally, I own up to it that I was sick of being an average Christian, if there's such a word. The word Christian is not supposed to be an average, you know? People of Christ. But we have reduced that word to such a low level, and the world knows that. They don't take the word Christians any seriously. And so the Lord graciously revealed to me that it was because I did everything on my own strength. I didn't have a relationship with him closely enough to change the way I think. The problem was that I was too busy and carried away with everything. Remember the tactic of the devil? Trying to keep ourselves busy. Keep our eyes low to the level of our peers instead of of God's level. And so naturally I reap what I sowed. I did not sow the word of God into my mind, into my heart, and so I did not reap the fruits of the word of God. What do I expect, right? That's when I chose faithfully and aggressively put the word of God into my mind, into my heart, to renew the way I think. And whenever I felt lazy, Holy Spirit will bring it to my remembrance. He's the best accountability partner. Do you want to be stressed again? Do you want to be overwhelmed again? And I jumped out of bed. That was pushed out of bed in the morning. Go and pray. Go and read the word. You cannot stay in bed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this word, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, changing the way we think. We're going to think like him not think like our peers. What happened to me was that I was sick of my level and I was confronted with how far it was from God's desire for me. He expected me to operate at a certain level, but I was too far below. So now after I've mastered this area of peace, right? God caused me to become wholly dissatisfied again because he revealed to me other gaps in my life. He's a good teacher. He has this curriculum that we need to go through. We think that we finish one module, we're done. Mm-mm. There's other modules. Yes, there are more gaps that we didn't know that was there. But he will show us. If we look into the world, we look into the mirror, and we'll see, oh, I didn't realize all this time. I'm so sorry. And then we go again. But if we do not spend time with God, how can he show it to us? If we're so busy running up and down, so busy being occupied, cannot even be still. We were not able to hear him. And so I started to work on other areas of like authority and divine healings and you know, you know, constantly working on it. Constantly. This is what we Dosin and I we meditate on during the long hours of prayer, speaking in tongue. The truth in the gap that we're working on. So regardless of responsibilities that we have. The foundational part of our life is to learn, to grow. So we cannot be busy attending to all our responsibilities and forget about what we're meant to go, what, what, what we're working on. We must focus on working with God instead of being busy. Once we're closing those gaps, naturally the fruits are going to come. And then we better be effortlessly being a blessing. But if we let people hold us down into those responsibilities, we cannot go up with the Lord. So as you abide in God, I can assure you that the Holy Spirit will constantly give you that holy dissatisfaction to come up higher with him, not only for you, but for people around you. So last Sunday, I had a dream of a a prison. So in this dream, I was visiting a prison, and the prison normally, there's like block walls and things, but in this one, it was more like a cage with a, a... Steel bars so that I can see through. (coughs) I can see through people living in a constrained area, constrained cages like that. And then every now and then they get an opportunity to socialize and things like that. And so I was just passing by in the dream, like, get to see different snapshots of the prison life and their living condition. And I remember very clearly that there's one man, one prisoner, spoke to me. I didn't know what question I asked, but the answer was that. We feel safe in here. We feel safe in here. And so when I woke up, that was so clear to me that this person being locked up in prison was not upset, frustrated, but said, I feel safe in here. And so I was asking God, what's the dream about? And he showed me in the scripture a couple of days later in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. My people, the church, the body of Christ. He was speaking about, he was talking about the, the devil, about, about unbelievers. The unbelievers are already in captivity. But he says, My people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And another, another um, version say that they have no knowledge of God. So do not know Him for who He is and who, as a, His provider. Lack of knowledge of God imprisons them, right? (coughs) So with a lack of knowledge, lack of revelation, we can get imprisoned. We put ourselves in prison or we allow the enemy to imprison us into bondage and captivity. We can imprison ourselves by our small thinking and choices. And the enemy has successfully kept many believers locked up in this false sense of security. They felt safe because they're just like their peers. They felt safe because their lives are predictable and comfortable. But you know what? Comfort is against eternity. Comfort. Comfort is against eternity. We are never meant to be comfortable here on earth. We are not. Jesus never came here to be comfortable, right? And we're meant to be like him. We are mission-focused. This is not home to rest. Home is in heaven. We're not home yet, so we cannot rest. We are mission-focused. We have Jesus to answer to, the captain who enlisted us as a soldier in his army. So the question is, are you living in a prison in any area of your life? Are we accidentally, ignorantly, put ourselves in the prison in any areas of our life? Some areas we might be experiencing freedom, some other areas we might be under bondage but we need to be open and ask God to reveal it to us. How badly do you want out? Because you need to get out to also help others out too. It's not only about us. So today we talk about pull and push factors. We're talking about change, really, right? (coughs) We're talking about staying the same. We're talking about change. And change will bring discomfort. Change will bring sacrifice. But guess what? We cannot be passive anymore. Mm -hmm. Dr. said earlier, it's the last days, the difficult times. We cannot be passive anymore. Time is running out. We must become the solution that we are expected to be. We must become the solution that we are expected to be. We might have some issues here and there, but we need to be focusing on getting rid of those issues. To grow up, to be the solution, to offer the solution, not to be dependent. The pursuit is not easy, and Tosi will show you that very well next week. So to last the distance, we need to keep our vision hot. Today, it felt hot, right, because I've just motivated you in a way, or the Word of God has really challenged you. Well, it's hot, you need to write down the vision. Write the vision down. this is biblical. It's in the Bible, in Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. Write down both pull and push factors. You need them for different days. So that you will not lose sight of where you're going and running from. Put it everywhere, in your house, in your bedroom, your phone. You need to cultivate that burning desire. It doesn't come by itself because life is made for comfortable. The flesh wants comfort, and the enemy is great at supporting that desire with distractions and with entertainment. But we cannot lose sight of where we're going and what we're running from. Let there be progress every day the Lord will give us grace and peace in our pursuit. In Jesus' name. Amen.